and uh, and so uh, and it's been well taken care of. There's been a tremendous uh, response from the community that cares about animals, and and so everything is working out good. So talk to Jen about that and Charlotte, and and uh, they uh, they did incredible stuff, and we're really proud of them. And the dog is here today, right? Okay, and uh, and uh, everything's going good. So that's that's exciting. Okay, uh, uh, Jane, could you bring me all those pencils, please, that I forgot back there? It's. Are we ready to start the tape? Is the sound still good? Okay. Thank you. Today, here we go, August 22, 2010, lecture discussion number 11 on the Book of Romans. Number 11 on the Book of Romans. And last Sunday, I'm playing with this. I better put it down or I'll play with it the rest of the day. I need my uh, dry erase board. And notice that we're still trying to figure out if this... Oh, yes, kids, get out of here. Nice move. See you later. There's pizza and donuts down there because Jen, uh, Jen always buys pizza and donuts. Oh, could have had her in trouble, but she moved too fast. Okay, last Sunday I announced that today would be the mid-quarter exam. And so uh, last week we went over all the test questions and I gave out all the answers. And so I need you to clear your desks and no talking. And, uh, and anyone caught copying will be sent to Mr. Fast, who, as you know, was a principal in this uh, city for many, many years. And he knows what to do with you. will notify your parents there's going to be detention. And you may think I'm kidding, and I'm only slightly kidding. I really do have an exam for you today, and I need ushers to come forward. Do we still have ushers here? No. Uh, we, we got rid of them. They were too much trouble. But uh, could you come, a couple of you guys, and uh, thank you very much, and pass these out. Now, um, also here i got pencils for you to hand out. Some of these pencils have erasers. Those of you who think you'll need erasers... Uh, you know what to do. Your name and your class period and your date in the upper right-hand corner, as you know. I'm only slightly kidding, as I said. And we did. We really did go over the questions. And I did really did, do give out all the answers last week. I did that. And I know some of you were not here. And, I, and I'm serious about this, really. I've, I've prepared a 12-question test, actually 13. Um, and it's not for your sake. It's for my sake. And you can, you can pair up if you need to so that you can blame the other person. But you really do have to do your best. I'm sorry to tell you that. It's, um, it is for me. I have to have some idea how we're doing. Both you and me. If there's not enough, um, I have one more left here. Make sure that everybody gets one, and do. Uh, and, and if you do want to split with your spouse, um, that would be fine too. Uh, make sure you put both names on the paper, though, so I can tell which one has successfully figured it out. <laughs> Catherine's not here. Um, Nate, go ahead and mute number nineteen. I'm getting a little slap back, and it's. 
Thank you, sir. Can you still hear me, everybody? Good. Catherine's not here today. She's, she's skipping, obviously. Uh, they went on vacation. But she came up after the sermon, and I don't know if you noticed her, but she came up and she said, Listen, I, I've been here for a long time, and I normally get things, and I'm not getting this. I'm not getting this, and I'm, suggest, I'm suspecting she's quite representative of the whole group. Anyway, Catherine and I went all the way back to Adam's Dilemma and Adam's federal headship, and then we went forward as far as we could go, and we got all the way. Here comes somebody that needs a test right there, so uh, I'll make sure he gets one. You, you, huh? Just make sure you turn it in before you eat the buffet. That's the rule. And make sure name is in the upper right-hand corner, date of birth. That's my favorite part for someone. I'm kidding about that, but uh, again... Catherine and I, we went all the way back to Adam's dilemma, his federal headship, and we went forward to the Dinah incident. That's as far as we could go. It took me about 15, 20 minutes to do that as quick as I could. We, got, went, from, we went to Genesis 34. We went through Genesis 17 from Genesis 3, and we tried to connect circumcision through them. And I've decided today that I'm going to follow somewhat of that same pattern because it worked for her. It got her at least close enough to where we could... Uh, we could uh, uh, move on to the next place, which you know is Romans. I believe that it is very, very important that each of you have a fundamental comprehension of the symbol and the sign that is circumcision. It is very, very important. It's especially important in the book of Romans. If you try to read the book of Romans without this basic understanding of circumcision, then you'll derail and go into the ditch and never understand and never glean from what Romans really has to offer, which is spectacular doctrine. So today is this exam that I gave. It's questions for you to answer, but it's really for me. I need to know, and I know some of you haven't even been here for a while. That's okay. Uh, you'll just flunk. I'm kidding. It's okay. I need to know what you know, what you've been taught by others. I want to get a basic idea of where this class is or where this congregation is. And again, um, um, you can't eat the buffet until you complete it as best as you can. So here we're going to go. Uh, Annabelle, where is she at? Oh, there you are. Okay, question number one. You have an answer sheet, so I'm going to read the question to you. And then I'll read the answers as well for the people on the Internet, because occasionally um, they not only do they outnumber us, but they do other things that will amaze you. Someday I will sit down and let you know what those folks are doing. On average, there's about maybe a hundred a week that are paying attention to this. So we're going to help them as well. Question number one, what is the great thesis of the book of Romans? A, universal salvation. B, salvation by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone. C, the just shall live by faith. D, more tithing. E, both B and C. The question again, what is the great thesis of the book of Romans? Universal salvation. Salvation by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The just shall live by faith. More tithing. Both B and C. I can tell this is a serious class today. Question two. Habakkuk 2.4 is quoted by Paul at Romans 1.17 because... 
Habakkuk 2.4 is quoted by Paul at Romans 1.17 because it is God's answer to Habakkuk's second complaint. It is God's correction and indictment against Israel's doctrinal failure. Habakkuk's first complaint is unanswerable and unsolvable. Answer D, both B and C. Answer E, all of the above. It should say only both B and C. E, all of the above. So that was my mistake. Question number three. By the way, when's the last time you came to church and you got a mid-quarter exam? When's, when's that ever happened to you? I'm, I think when I do things like this about some of the churches in town and what they would be doing right now with this, how many of them would still be in the auditorium? Fortunately, we locked the doors on you, so it's okay. Question number three. Habakkuk accused God of, question number three, Habakkuk accused God of being unwilling to, oh, I'm sorry, being unwilling or unable to end wickedness. That should read or, being unwilling or unable to end wickedness. B, that would be answer A, B, being on the side of evil or wickedness, being the author of evil. C, being unaware or uncaring to the fact that the Babylonians were more evil than the Jews. Notice that fact is in quotation and more evil. Those are Habakkuk's views. So again, the question is, Habakkuk is accusing God of this. He's accusing him of being unwilling or unable to end wickedness, being on the side of wickedness, being the author of of evil. That's answer B or answer C. He's accusing God of being unaware or uncaring to the fact. He sees it as a fact that the Babylonians were more evil than the Jews. D, all of the above. E, none of the above. Question number four. And you have to admit the, uh, the pictures behind the questions are actually pretty interesting, I, if you've been noticing. Question number four. God responds to Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's accusations against his goodness, his omnipotence, his omniscience, and his omnipresence with one of the following. The just shall live by works. The shall by just live. The living faith by shall just. A lot more tithing. See answer D. None of the above. Question number five. How many have held the title of federal head of humanity? A, one. B, two. C, three. D, C, three PO. E, R, two, D, eight. How many have held the title of Federal Head of Humanity. Obviously, you have A, B, or C choices, I hope. I was telling Anna as she was doing this, uh, back in the day when I taught high school, I would always put these on, these things. I'd give them two or three three throwaway questions, mainly to slow them down. 
But um, you'd be surprised at how many C-3PO's I would get or the like. It was very, very um, humbling. See, I go by the process, by the way, so you understand what I'm doing here. If, if nothing is learned, then who's at fault? I'm at fault. That means nothing got taught. And so I need to know if something has been learned. If nothing has been learned or very little has been learned, then it's the teacher. It isn't the material. If I can't make the material come alive, that's not the material's fault. That's the living word of God. That's my fault. I've got to figure out what to do. I, I look at it athletically. If I can't hit an outside pitch, then I've got to figure out how to adjust my stance. It's not the pitcher's fault. Question number six. Circumcision is the sign of... A, the Davidic covenant. B, the Noadic covenant. C, the Abrahamic covenant. D, the Mosaic covenant. E, the Stavitic covenant. Last one's very hard to pronounce. Circumcision is the sign of the Davidic. A, B, Noadic. C, Abrahamic. D, Mosaic. E, Stavitic. You may not have heard of the last one, but it's by far... One of the more significant. Okay, it's not. Question number seven. The sign of the Davidic covenant is the birth, A, the birth of the holy thing. B, the virgin birth. C, the birth of the seed of the woman. D, the promised Messiah, son of David. E, all of the above. F, none of the above. The sign of the Davidic covenant is A, the birth of the holy thing, B, the virgin birth, C, the birth of the seed of the woman, D, the promised Messiah, son of David, all of the above, none of the above. Which of those is the sign of the Davidic covenant? Question number eight. Circumcision is a symbol of Circumcision is a symbol of A. Christ crucified B. Salvation by grace C. Mankind's inability to provide his own savior Acceptable blood sacrifice Or living blood and living flesh Or actually it should be and D. Salvation by law and grace Again, the question is, symbolism, or, I'm sorry, circumcision is a symbol of E, salvation by works and obedience to the law. F, only A, B, and C. G, all of the above. H, none of the above. I, only D and E. J, only H. Circumcision is a symbol of Christ crucified, salvation by grace, mankind's inability to provide a savior, an acceptable blood sacrifice, or living blood and living flesh. D, salvation by law and grace. E, salvation by works and obedience to the law. The rest of it is just to wear you out. Okay, question number nine. In Exodus 4, 24 through 26... 
And this is the great mystery of Exodus 4, 24 through 26. This is Moses and Zipporah being confronted by God who holds Moses unto death until Zipporah does something. Okay, the great mystery of Exodus 4. Moses being held under a sentence of death by God himself, by Jesus Christ. This is a Christophany or a Christology. Yes, I'm in question number nine. So, that's what's happening in Exodus 4, 24 through 26. And Zipporah rushes to circumcise their sons in order to save the life of Moses. And her declaration that she says at the completion of this event that Moses is a husband of blood to her because of the circumcision. In that, in Exodus 4, in that portion, 24 through 26, who does Zipporah, the wife of Moses, represent? This is an actual historical event. Zipporah is an actual historical literal person who actually does what it says she does in Exodus 4. And God has hidden in that story a great doctrinal truth. And one of those truths is the symbology, if you will, or the typology of Zipporah. So who does she represent? A, the nation of Israel. B, the nation of Egypt. C, the bride of Christ, D, the great harlot, or E, the American Medical Association. Again, referencing Exodus 4:24 through 26, Moses, Zipporah, God, Christ, holding Moses unto death until... Zipporah circumcises their sons, referencing that again, that great mystery. Circumcision is representative of, a symbol of, in Exodus 4:24 through 26, A, we're on question 10, sorry. Circumcision is symbolizing in the story of Moses and Zipporah and Christ, which of the following? A, death. B, the doctrine of baptism. C, salvation by grace alone. D, free will. Or E, free willing. (laughs) In, In the story of Moses and Zipporah, where Christ has come and is holding Moses unto death, and Zipporah then takes a rock and circumcises her sons, who are well above teenage age, in my view, and I'll prove that as we get to Jethro, in order to save Moses' life. Circumcision, the circumcision is representative of, it's a symbol of, it actually happened, but it's also being used as a symbol by God there, and that, that, those verses... 424 and 26 of Exodus, it is either representing death, it is a symbol for death, that's A, it is a symbol for the doctrine of baptism, that's B, it is the symbol for salvation by grace alone, that's C, it is a symbol for free will, that's D, or it is a symbol for free willy, the orca, that's E. Okay? Question number 11.
referencing Genesis 34, the Dinah incident, where the Hivites are murdered, the Hivite men are murdered by the Israelites after they agree to accept and undergo something. Okay, what did they agree to under, to accept and undergo? And they were slaughtered for doing so, or they were used, that was used to slaughter them because it incapacitated them. So what was it? A, the sign of the covenant of promise and blessing and grace. Or was it B, the symbol of man's total corruption and depravity? Or was it C, the symbol of the husband of blood? Salvation through accepting the blood of Christ, Christ crucified. Or is it D, all of the above? Or is it E, none of the above? Or is it F, only both D and E? Okay, good. The Hivites were slaughtered by the Israelites in Genesis 34. And they agreed to undergo something, a procedure. And what is that procedure that they went underwent? Is it a sign of the covenant of promise and blessing and grace? Is it the symbol of man's total corruption and depravity? Is it the symbol of the husband of blood, salvation through accepting the blood of Christ, Christ crucified? Or is it all of the above or none of the above? Or is it either all of the above or none of the above? Oh, you don't, yeah, you don't have, I'm reading the question to you. Oh, okay. What happened in Genesis 34? Okay, the Hivites were slaughtered by the Jews. What did the Jews do to them? They circumcised them. What is that circumcision a symbol of, or what is it representative of in that context? It's one of those, or all of those, or none of those. Or it's all or none of those. That's a joke. Okay? And that is a very difficult question. So I'm glad you made me go back over it. Anyone else confused by that question? Question number 12. The Hivites of Genesis 34 are the forefathers of... Fill in the blank of Joshua 9 and of fill in the blank of 2 Samuel 21. So the Hivites of Genesis 34 are the forefathers of who of Joshua 9 and who of 2 Samuel 21. That, by the way, is central to understanding what happened in Genesis 34. That's why it's here. I know that you have to know that. You have to. And you have to know why. And you have to know Joshua 9 and 2 Samuel 21 in order to understand circumcision. And so that's why it's there. I need to know how many of you have it. And what am I going to do if the percentage is pretty low? I beat it back into you, aren't I? Whoop you upside the head. Notice it is not a... A multiple choice. How come? Because you can't guess. you got to know. Now, question 13. Extra bonus 
Ali Ali Oxen Free Megapalooza essay question. Explain during the sermon as I go on how circumcision connects Genesis 3.15, Genesis 17, Genesis 34, Exodus 4.24 through 26, Joshua 9, 2 Samuel 21, Romans 2. Now that essay question is, I don't know if it's in every seminary, but it's in a lot of them. That's what you get. That's the standard. That's what you should know. If you come to me and say, I've read my Bible, I understand my Bible, I got it, I don't need to do anything, there's your question. Explain how circumcision connects those scriptures. And if you do so, what will you have? You will have an understanding of what what the symbolism, what the sign of circumcision is. Okay? And then you're on your way in Romans 2. How many of you will be able to answer that question by the end of this class? Every single one of you. Or no buffet for you. Okay? Now, you can work on that during the sermon and not listen to another thing I say. Will I be happy? I'll be thrilled. I will be absolutely thrilled. But what we're going to do now is we're going to go through Adam's dilemma again. We're going to revisit it. I'll give you a chance to get started on your paper. And I'll explain why we're going to do this again. Because, Catherine, it's Catherine's fault. You have to put up with this again. How many of you have heard me do Adam's dilemma be aggressive. Raise your hand. How many of you have heard, better? How many have you not? How many of you have never heard me do Adam's dilemma? Okay. Maybe six or seven of you. Okay. Uh, but mo- I have done it many, many times. I do it almost every week. It's really funny. Usually somebody will come up to me after the sermon and ask me about Adam's dilemma. Uh, I'm well known for it. Um, I'm probably the only one that I know that does it in this city. And so um, it, they do come here occasionally to ask me about it. And I don't mind continuing to do it because it does so much for you when you understand what's going on with Adam and Eve and the garden. However, uh, like I said, some of you may have heard it more than once and you get a chance to work on your test question. The the others, um, please uh, stay with me here. This was very important to Catherine when I got it through her last week. And so I thought, okay, I've got to do this a little bit for the rest of you. I do it different every single time, by the way. And I add things and subtract things that you may or may not have heard. It's necessary to have a complete grasp of Genesis 2-3 so that you can understand circumcision. You have at least got to know what's going on. You may not have to work it all out, but you have to at least understand what the issues were. And you're not going to understand Romans 2 or Romans 5 if you do not understand the outward sign of a circumcision as opposed to the circumcised heart. There's a difference between the outward sign in Romans 2 and the circumcision of the heart. So that's also back in Genesis 2 and 3. Okay, so let's do it again. As I said, I'll try to do it different this time so that there'll be something new for everybody. 
But, but mainly this is for the new folks and for the Internet folks. And it's essential that, I, that we get through this. Okay. To start, have no position on Adam. Have no position ever. Do not, do not have a position on Adam that is in any way in conflict with 1 Timothy 2.14. If you have, and if you wish to, you can add 13 through 15. But if you have a position that is in conflict on Adam with respect to 1 Timothy 2.14, you're already in the ditch. And we have to send a record to come and get you. Okay? So have no position that is in violation or is in in conflict with 1 Timothy 2.14. What is, what is the significance of that? Well, it is where it is says, the Holy Spirit makes it very clear that Adam in the Garden of Eden, when he was confronted with his dilemma, Adam was not deceived. And that's critical. If you have, let me put it another way. Adam was not dumb. He was not. If you have a position that has Adam being outsmarted by Eve or Adam being outsmarted by Satan or Adam in any way uh, being unable to handle this issue in an, in an incredibly complex way, then you have flunked already. You can't even begin to start. So that's where you are. First Timothy 2.14, Adam was not deceived. And then it goes on from there. It says the woman, or if you will, you can say Eve, but I'm going to say the woman for a while for obvious reasons. The woman was deceived. Not only was she deceived, and that's the obvious question, who deceived her? Satan deceived her. Now you've got Ezekiel 28, and Satan is called Filled to the brim, almost to the point of overflowing. God put so much wisdom and intelligence in Satan that it almost overflowed out of him. That's the imagery of Satan at his creation. So, Satan, extraordinarily, no creature with that kind of level of intellect, and he was unable to deceive Adam, but he was able to deceive Eve. And Eve is called the first in sin. And that's important. Adam was not the first in sin. You can have no position that puts Adam as the first in sin. You can have no position that has Eve not being deceived. You can have no position that has Adam being deceived. And now you've got a good start. Now you've got a chance to get through it. And if you get through it, what do you have? The foundation for understanding circumcision. That may seem straightforward, and I say it a lot, but failure to understand the vast implications of 1 Timothy 2.14 has led many, most, I would say the overwhelming number, to miss the meaning and the complexity and the great treasure that is in that story of Adam and Eve. There's great treasure there, tremendous wisdom. The woman was deceived and ingested. If you want to think of it this way, this is the easiest way. It seems to work for the most people that I explain it. It's not technically correct because it's not really um, about this, but it works very well. The woman was deceived and she ingested the poison. So think of the woman as ingesting the poison, if you want to. That helps a lot. And the woman was now dying. 
She had taken the poison and she's now dying. What does she do? She knows she's dying, by the way, and she knows immediately. How smart is this woman? This is a very, very smart creature. Incredible. You have no idea. We have no idea what these two were like. Think of the smartest person that you could ever know, whether it's Einstein or Tesla or George Washington Carver, who's my personal favorite. Whoever you pick, this woman was so much smarter than they were, it's not even comparable. It's ridiculous. It's not, this is, the woman would be like, um, uh, like the Green Bay Packers, and, and we would be like an elementary school team. It isn't, it isn't even close. And that conversation the two of them had, Satan and the woman, extraordinary. That's a chess match. And you have to approach it that way. But she has the poison and she's now dying. And I believe that A.W. Pink, I'm sorry, and Ridgely, for those following on the Internet, and George Whitefield and John Gill and many, many others, Matthew Henry, um, especially all the dead guys that were great theologians back in the 1800s, early 1900s, all of them rightfully concluded that the woman was alone when she engaged Satan and fell. And if you need me to explain that to you after the sermon, I'll be happy to. But you can figure it out. It's better if you figure it out on yourself, by yourself. Read John Gill. Read A.W. Pink. Accountability to God. He'll explain it to you. And you will now understand that they were not together at the time that she fell. Why not? Because Adam could not be deceived, he could not be dumb, and he could not sin first. If he's standing next to her side by side and allows her to fall into sin. By the way, she never accuses him of it either. She accuses the Satan of deceiving her. She does not accuse Adam of failing to interfere. We're going to get to that in a minute. Is failing to interfere, let me just jump into it. What is failing to interfere? Allowing his wife to just fall? That's what? You make the case that's sin. Very good. He cannot be the first to sin and he cannot be dumb. He cannot be deceived. Now, again, eventually the woman and Adam are together. And the woman has brought the poison, if you will. This in itself informs of of her intelligence. That was very smart to bring that poison to Adam. Very smart. How did she know to do that? Would you do that? You've just been poisoned. Do you take the poison to Adam? She did. Congratulations to her. What a brilliant, brilliant decision. And now Adam has a dilemma. He has options. What are his options? He's really got just a couple. I make the case that he has three. She has brought him the poison. She knew that that was the right thing to do. He knew it was the right thing to do. So I'm going to tell you, he has three options. I want you to think in your head what those three options are. I'll give you a chance while I drink the poison. I'll give you the first one. Does he abandon her so that she dies alone. That's option one. Abandon her. 
So she dies alone. By the way, how long did she have to live? Physically live. A thousand years. Did Adam know that at the time? Did she know it? Had they had that worked out? He rejects that, doesn't he? Obviously, he does not choose to abandon her so she dies alone. Why doesn't he do that? First question is, why doesn't he abandon her so that she'll perish by herself? Because he knows something. He knows that's part of Satan's plan. He has to outsmart Satan here. Because Satan is using this woman to try to do what? What's Satan's plan here? He's trying to kill Adam. He really doesn't care about the woman. He's trying to kill Adam. This is, if you will, mano a mano. Satan against Adam. How many times did Satan, do you think, attempted to take Adam out prior to this? And he was unable to do so. This, however, is a new plan. He's trying to kill him. And if Adam abandons her to die alone, what is the problem? Satan hasn't checkmated here. At least he thinks he does. Okay? Start to think like the two of them, if you can. Let me help you. If Adam abandons her to die alone, what will she do? What will she think? I'll make it internal. You've drank poison. You bring it to your husband, boyfriend, mom, dad, whatever. Pick one, brother, sister. Put yourself in the appropriate position. You bring the poison to them and they go, Good luck with that, baby. You're going to die. Alone, horribly, I ain't doing it. How's your relationship doing? What kind of person would do that? And remember, he cannot be deceived and he cannot be in sin. Would he have chosen ever to allow her to die alone in sin? Did Satan know that? Did Satan know the character of Adam? If she does, if let's just hypothetically keep going with it. So he does abandon her to die. If he does so, what will she do? Where will she go? Somebody... Take a, rag, a stab at it. We got time. You went through the test really fast. By the way, how'd you do on the test? How many people are convinced that they got not counting the Megapalooza, Lollapalooza, Ali Ali oxen free question? How many of you are certain that you got every single one of them right? Oh wow! How many of you are just trying to be humble? Okay, good. <laughs> that's some pretty pathetic teaching, let me tell you what. And that's what I need to know. I need to know. What's that mean for you? More beatings, that's right. More beatings. 
Bill's great line. I'm going to beat that kid until I feel better. And that just that's perfect parenting right there. <laughs> okay. Let me go on with Eve here, or the woman. Her husband abandons her to die, and what does she do? What's her response? She is likely to go to who? Who's she going to go to? Who's left to go to? She's in sin. Where does she go? She goes to Satan. What's Satan going to get her to do? What's he going to get her to do? Yes, sir. Go to the tree of life. Absolutely what he's going to get her to do. He's going to put her forever in sin. If you read the verses, God must drive them out of the Garden of Eden in order to keep them from going forever in sin and taking from the tree of life. So he, you immediately, that's what Satan is going to do to her. How much trouble is he going to have convincing her that's the right idea? He's already deceived her once, hasn't he? And he doesn't have Adam to worry about at all now. He's got her completely by herself again. And this time she's already in sin. She's poisoned. She's desperate. How much trouble will it be for Satan, filled to the brim with wisdom, to be able to turn her into unredeemable? And it's obvious that what he will do. Okay, his second option. If he doesn't abandon her so that she dies alone, his second option is to do what? Sacrifice himself for her. Okay? And I promise you this is the order he went into. And my, it's my view. I, I guess I can't promise you anything. But when we talk to Adam, I'm going to ask if he went in this order. I think he did. He rejects sacrificing himself because he knows what Satan is going to do if he does that. Does Adam sacrifice himself for her? Obviously, he does not. Okay. She has bad blood. Sorry, I assume that everybody knows this, and you don't. She has bad blood, doesn't she? She's poisoned. She needs new blood. She needs a blood transfusion. Who's got living blood right here of the two of them? Adam still has it. He has sinless blood, doesn't he? He could die, couldn't he? Let's look at the typology. He could let himself be killed in order to put his blood, his living blood, in her. God could sacrifice Adam for her. That has to be a decision that Adam makes. Are you seeing the typology? Why Adam is called a type of Christ? Jesus Christ leaves the Godhead, adds on humanity, and chases after, if you will, descends down for the fallen, filthy bride for whom he gives his life, his blood, and his flesh so that she can live, right? Adam has that exact opportunity. He could sacrifice himself. And he has the blood and the flesh to redeem her. He chooses not to do that. He could pay the penalty. He could restore her to her sinless state, if that's even possible. But this is, by the way, very common thinking theologically. They believe that it is possible. I'm not so sure that it is. But he could have. It was an option to pay the penalty and restore her to her sinless state. He rejects it. If God accepts it, by the way, Adam is slain, isn't he? 
If God accepts, if Adam says, listen, take me, she's sinless, take me in her place, use my blood to cleanse her, then the woman is now alive, Adam is dead. What happens now? Can you figure out Satan's plan yet? He took her out with Adam alive. Is he going to take her out with Adam dead? She has something, doesn't she? What does she have? Free will. He got her once. Can he get her again? Especially if Adam is dead. If God accepts this sacrifice, option two, Adam is slain, the woman is redeemed, but is what? Alone. What will Satan do? What is Satan's next move? Again, Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.14. Adam was not deceived. Adam knew he was up against Satan and he knew the point of it was to, Satan was trying to kill Adam. It is obvious that Satan intends to kill Adam because of Ezekiel 28. It is obvious that Satan intends to kill Adam, that Eve is just an afterthought. Or the woman is just an afterthought. I should keep focusing on that. She is not Eve until after God comes. Then she is Eve, after they have been driven out of the garden. But it's obvious that Satan intends to kill Adam, Ezekiel 28, because Adam has replaced Satan as the king of Eden. Before Adam is the king of Eden, Satan is the king of Eden. And now Satan is no longer the king of Eden. Why not? Because of the fall of Satan, and now Adam is the king of Eden. How do you think Satan feels about that? There's a tremendous amount of enmity here. Notice that there is no hatred spoken of in the Bible between Adam and Satan, because it's obvious that there's hatred. There's no question about it. What becomes pointed is the hatred between the woman and Satan. Okay. So, would the woman being deceived once be able to survive if Adam were gone? Would she refall? Did she and Adam think this through? To recap that a little bit, if Eve is left to die alone, does she go to the second tree? I believe she does. I believe Genesis 3.22-24 through 24 makes it clear that she would have. If she goes to the second tree and, and Adam sends her out of the garden, and she go, or I'm sorry, sends her away from him, and she is in sin, the first thing that Satan would do is get her to the second tree. She would take her to the second tree. She would be forever in sin now. And forever dead as God defines death. And that's so important, by the way, to know that I have two trees. One is called the tree of death, if you will. If you eat from it, you will surely die. And the other one is called the tree of live forever. So if you are dead and you go to the second tree, you will live forever dead. That's why it's called the two decisions of Adam. You have to know there's two decisions that Adam makes. First decision is to join his wife in sin. The second decision is to not go to that second tree once he's in sin. Very important to understand that in order to do what? To understand circumcision. Does it all make sense? I hope it does. 
If she is forever dead, as God defines death, if Satan were to get her forever dead, as God defines death, then she is in the same state as Satan, is she not? Along with one third of the angels that are already there, the demons, right? So obvious question, who or what stops Eve from going to the second tree? Once she's in sin, she does not go to the second tree and is forever in sin. Who stops that? What stops that? Adam and the woman do not go to the second tree. Ultimately, God stops them and he kicks them out and he protects that tree with fire, doesn't he? Anyway, Satan intends to have God kill Adam one way or the other, either sacrificing for Eve as a sinner who is unredeemable without Adam's blood, um, in which case the second tree is the plan there, Having either or both, the latter being the ultimate goal, eat from the second tree after having fallen into sin. If that happens to Adam, the federal head of all, the world is destroyed. Satan knows that. Eden is destroyed. Death is everywhere. So obvious question again. If Adam sacrifices himself, how long before he is resurrected? Because if God sacrifices Adam in order to give that blood to Eve, what is he obviously going to do? We know the pattern, don't we? What's he going to do to Adam? He's going to resurrect him. Does Adam know that? Adam, what happened when Eve was, was created? Adam is put into a what? A deep sleep. God penetrates his side. The word is not rib, it's side. T-S-E-L-A is the word. It means side. God goes into the side of an Adam who is in deep sleep. Deep sleep is used consistently in the Bible for what? Death. Puts him to death, and out of his death comes the living bride, right? Is that typology obvious, huh? So has Adam been in a deep sleep before? What happened to him? He was resurrected. How long did it take? Sign of Jonah? Three days, three nights? How much time Satan need? Does he need three days and three nights? What does the woman face? Satan will certainly, once Adam is in death, he will certainly say one thing to the woman. He will say immediately, God can't be trusted. You can't trust him. The woman, you've got to hurry and get to that second tree. If you get to the second tree, then you have what? You have a stalemate. Why do you have a stalemate? Because God cannot solve sin. That is Satan's lie. God cannot solve sin and free will. That's the lie of Matthew 4. Satan has been saying it forever. It's impossible to solve the sin and free will. Remember, Adam is not deceived. And so Adam's dilemma is essentially abandon her so she dies alone, die in her place, or join her in sin. So that's her that's his three choices. So let's ask. Okay. Is the first one sin? Is that sin? Come on, get in here. If he abandons her, 
Is that, an, is that wrong? Yeah, it's wrong. He can't do that. He can't be the first in sin, by the way. He, he wouldn't be in this case, but abandoning her is not an option for him. Did he sacrifice himself? No. If he had sacrificed himself, who would have done the sacrificing with him? Who's left to do it? Only God. Would that be sin for him to sacrifice himself? Obvious answer, no, it wouldn't be. Sin, not sin. How about this one? Join her in sin. That's sin. So this becomes the question. What's he doing? He's saying a couple of things. What stopped her from going to the second tree? Let me go back to that. She's fallen. She's dying. Why doesn't she go to the second tree? Because if she goes to the second tree, she's forever in sin. And Satan says, listen, God can't solve it. So we're all going to be in sin forever, sooner or later. Everybody, every creature, sooner or later, is going to be in sin forever because it's an unsolvable thing. Only thing God can do is destroy all sin, in which case we're all annihilated. I don't think he'll do that. Do you understand? So her free will is a factor. If he does, lets her die alone, her free will is a factor. She's going to run right to the tree. If he dies in her place, her free will is a factor, isn't it? She's going to run right to the tree again, right? It's got to be thinking that way. If he joins her in sin, what can he do? What can he do if he joins her in sin? He can duct tape her to something, can't he? Hold her down. But now what's his problem? He's in sin. What's the problem now? How does he stop himself from going to the tree? Sooner or later he's going to do it, isn't he? Because your mind is degenerating. You're becoming more and more corrupt. Which one did Adam choose? He chose direct, deliberate disobedience. He chose to join her in sin. Genesis 2:16 and 17. Why did he do that? Ultimately, why did he join her in sin? This is a, her free will is functioning here. Her free will is functioning here. He can stop her free will here. Why does he join her in sin? He didn't trust God to do it, did he? He didn't think God would solve it, did he? But yet he's not deceived. And there becomes a very important discussion that we'll have pretty soon. Okay, I hope you recognize the Matthew 4, Genesis 15, Matthew 26, 36 through 46, Gethsemane connection. I hope you see that this is the solution to free will and sin. I hope you understand then that this is the just shall live by faith. It applies here. All he had to say to her and to himself is the just shall live by faith. The justified will have eternal life by believing in someone. Who do they have to believe in? They have to believe in the character of who? The one that comes and walks with them in the garden. Who's that? That is Jesus Christ. How come Adam did not make that decision? Instead, he chose to join her in sin and be disobedient. But at the same time, he chose not to go to that second tree. That is your great question of Genesis 2 and 3. And you have to know that in order to understand 
circumcision. Okay. Let's rise and be dismissed. the young people or if it's the men or if it's the women what's the chances it's the women really good really good okay last song <laughs>